0: Good morning. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter twenty-eight. Acts twenty-eight. We are in the final chapter of the book of Acts. We'll uh, do the first half this week, and then uh, the second half next week. But uh, we have made it to the final chapter. Hopefully, the uh, our study through the book of Acts has been helpful for you guys, has been encouraging and uplifting for you as a as a follower of Jesus, as a member of the church. Hopefully. Um, that you have been uh, edified and uplifted in our study through Acts, and if not, hopefully this morning, (laughs) that uh, Acts 28, the first part of Acts 28, you will be uplifted uh, in our study of the text this morning. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, is where we're going to be. Acts 28, beginning in verse 1, says this. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice uh, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead, But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Let me pray for us to get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that your word challenges us and uh, speaks to us, God, that you would step down and and condescend to, to speak to us as human beings in a way that we can hear and understand. And Father, I thank you that that your word is powerful, that that by your word you shape and mold us in the image of Jesus. Father, I pray that this morning we would have ears to hear what you're saying, not just not just intellectual uh, brain that is, is ready to absorb the knowledge, but ears to hear from you, Father, and hearts that are ready to apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that we would leave this room better than when we came because of our time in the word, that we as a church would grow in the image of Jesus because of what we study and read and know in your word this morning. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. One summer, while I was in college, I interned at a church in, Al- in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Uh, and great church, great people, uh, great memories, loved it there. But as someone from Houston, the drive to get to Alabama for the summer included way too many Louisiana bridges and Mississippi potholes. right? And, and as bad as the roads were on the way there, the worst part of the drive was trying to get through Baton Rouge traffic. Was, yes, Jacob knows what I'm talking about. And trying to get through Baton Rouge traffic. So on our way there, my mom decided to go uh, to take the, the, go on the drive with me. And so we were on our way there. We were cruising down I-10, having no problems. And then we hit Baton Rouge. We hit construction. And we were at a standstill on the freeway uh, and did not move for an hour. Just no movement. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have the Waze app, not a sponsor, but the Waze app will sometimes tell you uh, and give you detours in order to avoid the traffic. Right? Well, th- in this case, Waze gave us a monster detour, like it, 20 miles. It took us 20 miles out of the way to avoid this traffic in Baton Rouge, way out of the way. Now, I, I like detours sometimes because at least I feel like I'm moving, right? At least I'm getting somewhere. I'm not just sitting on the freeway. But, but detours are always inconvenient. Because when you're on a detour, you are not where you want to be. Like, I wanted to be on I-10, driving uh, uh, at the speed limit, <laughs> uh, maybe above it, but uh, driving on I-10 on my way to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. I wasn't. I was in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, trying to get my way back to the freeway. Uh, so it's inconvenient. I wasn't where I wanted to be. Instead, I was on this detour. But while we were on the detour, my mom and I decided we were going to make the most of it. So on this 20-mile detour we found this little visitor center and we stopped and we, we met some sw- sweet people we we took a break from the the driving and the the heavy traffic and we just had an all-around good time on our uh, little detour and so we we decided to make the most of it even though we weren't where we wanted to be as the people of God we are not where we want to be Paul said it best in Philippians when he says that he would much rather depart and be with Christ than to remain here because as people who have received eternal life in Jesus and the promise of an abundant eternal life in the kingdom of God forever, we are eagerly looking forward to and eagerly anticipating the day that Christ returns and the day that we can be with him for all of eternity. We would much rather be there where everything is perfect, where there's no sickness, where there's no pain, where there's no death, where there's no sin and the marring effects of sin, where we are just l- enjoying the abundant life in the kingdom of God. That would be a lot better. We would rather be there, but we're not there yet. Instead, we're on a temporary detour, a, a temporary journey on our way to our eternal destination. And uh, The question that, that we face is, what do we do on this detour? What, what, what is our life supposed to look like while we're here, while we're waiting for Christ's return or the day that we, we go to see him? What do we do while we're here? And, and, and our story this morning shines some light into, onto that question because Paul in our story this morning is on a detour. Paul is on his way to Rome where he's going to present his case. He's a prisoner. He's going to present his case before Caesar, and he's going to uh, eventually, hopefully, be let out of uh, of prison, because he is innocent of his crimes, but he's on his way to Rome to present his case. Ultimately he 's also on his way to Rome to go share the gospel. This is the ends of the Earth in the book of Acts. The gospel is going forth to the ends of the Earth. Paul is on his way to Rome, and on his way to Rome, he gets in a shipwreck and is now stranded on an island called Malta, in the middle of nowhere in the Mediterranean Sea. Paul didn't plan this. He, he didn 't go out of his way to stop in Malta as this but he 's on a detour. And to make it worse, uh, even if there are boats on Malta, it is now winter, and so Paul can't leave the island for at least three more months. So he is temporarily stranded here on the island of Malta on this detour. What does Paul do when he's on his detour? Look at me in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So think back with me to last week. Paul's on his way to Rome. He's a prisoner. And he is, uh, for two weeks, he and the rest of the passengers on the ship that he's on are, spe- are spend two weeks adrift at sea, having been blown way off course by a crazy storm. All right, And for two weeks, they did not see the sun. Like they, The cl- clouds were darkened. They rained. Poured on them, the waves batted the boat, and and for two weeks they barely ate anything. And even if they did eat anything, I'd imagine some of them had trouble keeping it down because for two weeks a storm was rocking the boat, back and forth, waves crashing into the boat. And then and then just as things got better, right? They they see an island and they begin to sail towards land. Just as as there's hope and things are getting better, their boat gets stuck in a sandbank or a reef, and the waves start crashing into the boat and breaking it apart. So uh, just as things are getting better, everyone has to jump out of the boat and swim to the island. And there they all get, Paul and the rest of the people on the boat, they get to the island cold and tired and hungry, and then they meet the locals. The word here in for, uh, for natives is bar- barbarians, is the, is the word that we get. It's the people who are non-Romans, the, the barbarians as the Romans referred to them. They meet the native islanders, the, the locals on that island. This is not a great start to the detour, right? This is not like a pleasant little trip to a visitor center where you meet some pleasant people and have a great time. This is not a great start at all. They survive a shipwreck, and they meet the locals. But fortunately for them, things get better. They figure out that they're on the island of Malta, which is directly south of Italy. So it turns out they're not that far from where they want to go. They also figure out that the natives are kind, and hospitable, and the the locals start building fires for the for the shipwrecked victims. They see them, the survivors, and they build fires for them to dry them off and to to warm them up. And so so things are getting better for Paul and his companions as they're stranded on the island of Malta. This is a not a not a terrible start here, but uh, notice what happens in verse three. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat. And fastened on his hand. So picture Paul and Luke is here, likely, is what we what we see earlier in chapter 27. And and Paul's other friend Aristarchus. That Paul has a few of his buddies here who are on the ship and they, they are all on the island together. Picture them huddling around a fire. They're getting dry. They're getting warm. And and you guys, you know Paul. He's not one to just sit around and be served and let other people uh, do everything for him. And so he wants to he wants to step up and contribute. All right? So after he feels sufficiently warmed and sufficiently rested, he gets up and he starts gathering sticks for the fire. And turns out one of the sticks he grabs is a venomous snake. Don't you just hate when that happens? Like it's, the, it's a terrible day for Paul. This is the same day as the shipwreck, right? Like he just swam to safety on an island, escaping a shipwreck. And now he's here getting uh, with a, a venomous snake's fangs embedded into his skin, right? Not a good day for Paul. And the irony of Paul getting bitten by a venomous snake the same day he survived a shipwreck is not lost on the natives. Right? They, they see the irony. Verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And, and that, that seems like uh, somewhat decent reasoning there, like some kind of divine final destination. Like here's Paul. They, they are convinced that he's a murderer because uh, they they believed in the Roman pantheon of gods. Likely, so this this whole group of gods and, and this is why uh, the term justice there, in verse four, most likely refers to the Greek go- the Roman goddess of justice, the, the daughter of Zeus, not uh, just the, the general idea of justice, which is why in some of your Bibles it may be capitalized. Uh, they're probably referring to the goddess justice. But they, they're, they're, they watch Paul, they see him survive a shipwreck and they, think, and they see him get bitten by a venomous snake and they think, well, surely he has to have done something really bad. He's got to be guilty because when the gods sent a shipwreck against him uh, he survived it and so they decided to send a snake to finish the job. Right? Clearly, Paul is some irredeemable murderer. Paul, on the other hand, he takes this whole encounter with the viper in stride, <laughs> right? Verse 5. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I love how how calm Paul is in this moment. Right, Luke doesn't really paint a clear picture of Paul's re- response to the snake bite, but the, the picture that he paints here in verse 5 is one of a cool Calm, collected person, like a, a totally level headed response to the situation. Like, if it were me, even if it wasn't a venomous snake, which it was, if, if I just got bit by a snake as I'm trying to toss some wood into a fire, like I'm responding with my arm flailing out to the side and, and random uh, guttural noises and screams and probably a, flu, a few expletives, and, 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 but not Paul. Right? Paul is cool, he's calm, he's collected, he just shakes the snake off into the fire. What we see with Paul is that he's not concerned about the snake bite. It's not a big deal to him. Why is it not a big deal to Paul that he was just bitten by a venomous snake after surviving a shipwreck? It's not a big deal. He has been promised by God that he's going to get to Rome. And he knows that no shipwreck and no snake bite is going to stop him from getting to Rome. So he can calmly shake the snake off and cast it into the fire. I want to be clear that the Rome in the book of Acts is not heaven it's the ends of the earth it's kind of a, a picture a symbol in the book of Acts and so this this whole story takes place this whole journey is not a story about salvation it's a story about missions but but the 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 tr- there's a truth that's here in the text that is remarkable that I want us to see and it's not even the main idea of the text but it's just a truth here in this idea that Paul just calmly shook off this this snake it's the idea that when god promises on something when god promises something he delivers and so god promised paul that he could get to rome and so paul has complete confidence in god because he knows that god is going to deliver we saw that in chapter 27 when god said hey every single one of you are going to survive this shipwreck and every single one of them survived the shipwreck we saw that all the way back two years ago in Acts 23, 22, uh, Acts 22 and 23, when we saw that, that Paul, God promised Paul that he was going to go to Rome. And now Paul is on his way to Rome. When God promises something, he always delivers. And now, if we are the people of God, and we have the promise of eternal life in Jesus, we have the, the hope of an abundant everlasting life and citizenship in the kingdom of God then nothing we face on this detour should shake us no shipwreck no snake bite no economic downturn no political uh, events no no elections no no unfair treatment at the hands of other people nothing should shake us from our confidence in who we are in Christ and our eternal destination and our citizenship in the kingdom of God what god promises he always delivers and so we like Paul should be able to interact with the world on this detour with unshakable unflappable confidence knowing that what God has said is going to come true like I said that's not even the main idea that's just a free one here uh, thrown in here verse six the uh, the islanders they see Paul shake off the snake into um, into the fire they they see this whole thing play out and and we see in verse six they were waiting for him to swell up, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, you can just see them kind of murmuring together in this story. They're they're whispering to each other. See Paul get bitten, and, and they think right, any moment now this guy's going to get what's coming to him. You know, and then they look at their watches, and it takes a little bit longer than they think, and so they they begin to say, well, maybe he's got like a a higher tolerance to venom than the average person so maybe it's just going to take a little bit longer they keep looking at their watches and or their sundials thank you steve and uh and they keep, they, keep, they keep checking at the time and then they it, finally one guy gets up and he's like all right that's it i've changed my mind that guy's not a murderer he's a god he is a he's a deity that is the the only explanation for this scenario that guy is a god changed my mind My favorite thing about this story, and one of the most interesting things about this story to me, is what Luke leaves out of it. Luke doesn't include a note about Paul correcting them. And we know that that's how Paul responded because that's how Paul responded earlier in the book of Acts when he and Barnabas were mistaken for the gods uh, Hermes and, and Zeus. They, they thought that the two of them were deities on another island. And so when, when Paul and Barnabas found out that, that these islanders thought that they were deities, they tore their garments and they said, no, 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 we're not gods. And they corrected them and they proclaimed the gospel. So we know that something similar probably happened here, but Luke didn't record that in his telling of the story. He ends it right here with the islanders thinking, all right, well, there's got to be a God. And that's the end of this story for Luke. Why does Luke leave out Paul correcting them? I think the reason is that in Luke's estimation, what he's trying to convey in this story, what's important for us is not that Paul corrected them, but that the islanders understood that Paul had a special relationship with God, that he had a unique relationship closeness with the creator of the universe, that he had a a special relationship with God. What what Luke paints here is a picture of God in front of everybody confirming that Paul is one of his people. Like Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Paul is part of the people of God. Not, Not an irreconcilable, irredeemable murderer, but a child of God. As a unique relationship with god and that's what's important for the islanders to know paul is part of the people of god a little while afterwards paul and his group they make their way to the roman portion of the island they begin to to meet the people there and they meet the leader in verse seven now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, if you've been with us for any of our study in the book of Acts, you can probably guess what's going to happen at the the second half of verse 8. Paul is there. He meets the father of the leader of the island. The father is sick with fever and dysentery. Second half of verse 8, it says, Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. What we see is that, that Paul like just two verses before, God confirms that Paul is part of the people of God. And as part of the people of God, Paul is empowered by God. Paul has the power of the Holy Spirit running through him. And God displays his power through Paul in this instance by healing the man uh, of fever and dysentery. Now, in case you are are tempted to use this verse as a template for your ministry that you're just going to Lay your hands on someone and and say a prayer and they're going to be all right because that's what it says in this verse. This is actually the only instance in the New Testament where the combination of prayer and laying on of hands results in healing. It's the only instance throughout the entire New Testament. So take that for what it's worth, for what it's worth. Probably don't stake your entire ministry on it, right? Like don't don't stake everything on that combination. But but that's what we see is the power of God working through Paul to heal this guy. The rest of the island hears that God healed this man and they begin to show up, verse 9, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. This resulted in verse 10, they also honored us greatly and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Paul just happens to be at the right place at the right time. He sees the sick father, and by the power of God, he heals him. And then the rest of the islanders start bringing their sick family members, their, their, uh, the, the people with diseases on the island, and Paul begins to heal the rest of them because he's there, he's stranded there for three months, so he might as well. And he heals uh, every disease on the island. And what again, what I think is fascinating about this story is that Luke doesn't include a mention about Paul proclaiming the gospel. Everywhere in the book of Acts, healings are combined with proclaiming the gospel. There there is not a moment in Acts where someone isn't healed, where where healings don't take place, and it's for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And so we, we can reasonably assume that Paul proclaimed the gospel on the island of Malta, that he used these healings to display the power of God and to share the gospel with the islanders. Because, again, everywhere Paul has gone, he shared the gospel. Every boat he's been on, every city he has stopped in, Paul has shared the gospel. And so we can reasonably assume that Paul shared the gospel. But again, Luke doesn't record that note in this story. What Luke tells us is that while Paul was on this detour, when he was stranded for three months on this deserted uh, uh, on this island, when he was stranded for three months, Paul, by the power of God, healed the island. That's what Paul did. On the detour. And that's in line with what I what I think the the main idea is for us from this text. You see, the people of God, empowered by God, bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. That's the main idea of this passage. Let Let me repeat that. The people of God, empowered by God, bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. Paul made the island better. Like he had, a, he had a positive impact on the island. He left the island better than he found it. God, in his power, healed the island through Paul because that's what the people of God do. They heal the world on our detour. I have seen Christians all over the world, going out of their way to heal the world, to, to make the world a better place, to do good and, and God-honoring things. I know Christians who, who give food to the hungry, give food to the needy. I've seen Christians fight against injustice and, and uh, unrighteousness, against unfair treatment due to race or gender or economic status, to fight against sexual exploitation and modern-day slavery. I have seen Christians all over the globe, who, who adopt kids from, from difficult circumstances, who, who step in and to, to meet the needs of, of people all over the planet who are struggling, who I have seen Christians who, who do good work, not, not good works like good deeds, but, but do good work at their job and, and, and produce good things that, that make the lives of the people around them better. We see Christians around the world doing little bits of healing for the world making the world a, a, literate, a little bit better than it was. Because that's what Christians do. That, that's what Christ followers do. The people of God, empowered by God, bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. On the whole, just descriptively, statistically, Christianity has resulted in a, a profound positive impact on the world. Uh, even taking into account all of the very unchristian things that so-called Christians have done in the course of history, like the Spanish Inquisition, some of the Crusades, the Salem Witch Trials, like, like very un-Christian things that Christians have done throughout world history. Even taking that into account, the scales tip strongly in the balance of Christianity having a supremely positive impact on the world. The, the number one group of people that adopt are Christians, The number one group of people that give to the poor, that give to the needy, are followers of Jesus. We see time and time again that Christianity has resulted in a positive impact in the world because the people of God, empowered by God, bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. And it's not even that healing the world is our goal. Like Paul didn't go out of his way to heal the island of Malta. Paul wasn't on his way to Rome when he told the soldiers, hey, can we pull over here real quick? I've got I've to do some miracles, going to heal this island, going to bring some life here. He wasn't, even when they, sh- they shipwrecked on the island, he wasn't going out of his way to heal the island. He met somebody, the person was sick, he just healed him while he was there, and then people started bringing him sick people, and so he started healing people there. Paul's goal on the island of Malta wasn't to heal the island. God, The people of God, empowered by God, naturally bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. This main idea is descriptive. It's not, it's, not, it's not a goal. It's not something we need to go out and strive to do. This is just a description that the people of God, empowered by God, will naturally bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. As redeemed people, we will naturally have a positive impact on the world around us. And here's why. Because God designed the world to be perfect. A paradise free from the effects of sin. And when mankind rebelled against God, we upended the created order. We, we went against God and, and sin introduced death and destruction into the world. And now everything in the world aligned in rebellion against the God who gives life only produces chaos and devastation and destruction. And we see that naturally in our world, that our world is decaying, that our world is dying, that our world is not evolving in any positive sense of the world, but our world is devolving and breaking down, that societies are breaking it down, and ultimately our world is struggling, crumbling, and falling. Because everything in the world is aligned in rebellion against the Creator. And that only results in death and destruction, depravity. But as followers of Jesus, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been Reborn we have been made new, redeemed from the effects of sin and death. It's what, uh, P- what Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are a new creation. he also says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are God's handiwork and so we have been remade by God in the image of Jesus. We have been recreated by God for good works it says in Ephesians 2:10. We have been recreated by God free from the effects of sin and death in our lives and so now Instead of being part of the world that is in rebellion against God, we are now part of the world that is aligned with our Creator. And so as redeemed people, when we interact with the world around us, we are naturally interacting in a way that brings God glory and starts turning the world around us to God, recreating little pockets of the world back to the way that God has designed them. That's why it's descriptive that the people of God just by nature of being the people of God when we live in a way that brings glory to God that we are empowered by God to bring healing from God while we wait for Christ's return. We have a net positive impact on the world around us. If you want to make a positive impact on the people around you, live for the glory of God. So when we live in a way that brings God glory, that's what happens start bringing people in that direction. We start working in a positive way in the world to lift up the name of Jesus. I want us to be clear, though, that it only takes place. We only heal the world by the power of God. That only occurs when we live in a way that brings glory to God. If we return to our sinful habits, what what Peter classifies as our... uh, our, uh, uh, are fu- foolish uh, return to our, our our all right now i gotta look back at first peter i have this is the problem with no notes um uh first uh, what peter describes <laughs> he is human that's what <laughs> that's what candy said um what peter describes in in first peter chapter one uh he says uh do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If we return to our sinful habits, then we are returning to words and actions that do not bring God glory and that are sinful and will ultimately only result in death and depravity and destruction. Sin never builds up. It always tears down. Sin never edifies. It always destroys. And so the only way that we're going to introduce healing to the world, the only way that we're going to interact in a positive way with the world around us is when we live in a way that brings glory to God. I also want to make clear that that it is only by the power and the grace of God that healing comes to the world. I think some of us think that it's our job to, to create the, the best systems and to to elect the right politicians and to uh, to fix the right uh, structures and processes, and if we just if we just check all of the right boxes, if we can just get get things in in, in good order and get things to be the way that they should be, then then we're going to fix the world. But the problem is that the ultimate issue in the world is not that the structures. Are uh, misaligned. It's not that we have the wrong politicians in place. The ultimate problem with the world is sin. And if sin is the ultimate problem in the world, then none of the worldly solutions are powerful enough to have a lasting positive impact on the world around us. They may do some good, and those things. Like, like, like fixing broken systems and, and electing the right politicians and, and, and putting in good policies and procedures. Those things are, are good and right and, be, and can be glorifying to God. But if those solutions are all that we have, then we don't have much because we can't fix the planet with those things. What the world needs is the power of a merciful and gracious God to bring salvation. Everything that is good and right and God-honoring on this planet is from God. Everything righteous that we can do that brings healing to the world around us is empowered by God. It's like what, uh, what Paul says, that every good and holy thing comes from God. What the world needs is not us to, to fix these systems and, and elect the right politicians. Those are good things. What the world needs is the power of God. And so if we're going to have a positive impact on the world, if we're going to Im- impact the world in a, in a healing and redeeming way, we have to do so in the power of God. And that fact should drive us to our knees. And we should be driven to our knees in prayer, knowing that without the power of God, we are powerless to impact the world if you want to have a positive impact on the world, then you live in a way that brings glory to God and live in a recognition of the power and the glory of God. I also want to, to, uh, to make clear for us this morning that whatever healing we bring to the world is ultimately temporary. Fun fact, every single person that Paul healed on the island of Malta is now dead. Like not one of them made it. Paul, Paul could not ultimately heal what is broken and wrong in the world. And no solution, no positive impact on, that, we, that we can have on the planet is going to be eternally lasting. That's why that it's not our goal to fix the world. That, that's not what we're striving for. That's not what is ultimately most important because we know that one day when Jesus returns, he is going to come and make everything right. He is going to do away with sin and death and he is going to redeem the world. That's what Paul says in Romans 9, Romans 8, that all of creation is groaning and waiting for that day when Jesus comes and redeems it, when Jesus comes and sets it free. We are looking forward to that day when healing comes by the power of Jesus. And so the only thing that is ultimately going to provide eternal life is Jesus. Which means that the only thing that can ultimately provide healing in life today is Jesus Christ. So we do good things. We interact in the world in a, in a positive way because, because we're redeemed people. And that's how we live. That's how we act. When we glorify God in our lives, we have a positive impact on the world around us. But the thing that we have more than anything else in the world that can provide healing is the good news of salvation in Jesus. What the world needs most from us is more followers of Jesus. The best thing that we can do for our world is to see more and more people come to know Christ. Live in a way that honors God. Live in a way that provides healing and life to the people around you. But, but most of all, take the message of the gospel to the world because Jesus is the only source of ultimate healing. This is a temporary detour. There will be a day where we are standing face-to-face with God, and there will be a day when, uh, when Jesus will come back. And I don't know which one of those will be first for you, but there will be a day when we are face-to-face with God, Christ will return, and, and everything will be made right. And we are anxiously looking forward to that day. We are waiting for Christ's return, where we will experience the fullness of eternal life, the, the completeness of our healing. But until that day, We interact in the world in a way that that recreates little pockets of the world around us in a way that glorifies and honors God, bringing the world around us some some healing and some life interacting with the world in in a positive way. But we also know that ultimate healing will not come from us doing good things, from handing out food, from serving people in a loving way. Ultimate healing will only come from Jesus. So we go out in the world and you carry with us the message of the gospel to see life and healing take place in the world around us. Some of you this morning, you need the healing that, that Jesus provides. And I'm not talking about physical healing, although the eternal kingdom of God is free from, from illness and sickness and pain. That it is free from all of those things. So, so Jesus does ultimately offer physical healing. But, but what Jesus provides for you today is healing and and and, and for, uh, providing you forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship with your creator. Ultimate healing. So some of you this morning need to place your faith in Jesus and trust in him as Savior and Lord for the very first time. You need to experience the true healing that comes from God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the healing that comes from Jesus and, and the ultimate healing that we are looking forward to when everything that is broken and wrong in our world is fixed. For everything that that we, have, uh, that we see that, it, that breaks our heart and breaks your heart, God, that it's, it, it's going to be made right, it's going to be made perfect and whole. God, when Jesus returns, we are, we are anxiously looking forward to that day. God, I pray that that in the meantime, we would live in a way that brings you glory and honor and gives people just glimpses, just little looks at what it's like to be in the kingdom of God, that, that we would show people that your kingdom is a kingdom free from from hunger, that your kingdom is a, is a kingdom free from prejudice based on race and gender and economic status, that your kingdom is a kingdom free from abuse and pain, that your kingdom is a kingdom free, for, or, that your kingdom is a kingdom of justice, God, that, that we would live in a way that exemplifies and gives people just a, a glimpse at what your kingdom is like. And I pray, Father, we wouldn't trust in just solutions that are, that are based in psychology or, or in economic theory, but that we would rely on your power moving in and through us as individuals and as a church to exemplify your kingdom to the world and to see healing brought to the world around us. God, I pray that we would be a church that proclaims the good news of salvation in Jesus, that we would see more and more people coming to know you, because it is only in Jesus that healing will occur. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who has not experienced the ultimate healing, the the rebirth, the regeneration that comes from faith in Jesus, that if there's anyone here this morning that needs to be recreated, anyone here this morning that needs to have a restored relationship with God, a, a, a peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that this morning they would know you. That this morning they would take a step of faith, that they would trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and this morning that they would find healing. Father, we love you, we praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.